0: Good morning. Can you all hear me? Morning, Real Life Church. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Ryan Botha. I'm married to Taryn, who's just taken our two wonderful kids out to kids' work. We have children, Keegan, who is 10, and Amy is 6, turning 7 in two weeks' time. We're originally from South Africa, and we moved to the UK in 2014, settled in Sutton Coalfield. And we found this wonderful church, real-life church, which we've become a part of. So it's great to share with you this morning, and I'm really excited to carry on with our series, Let There Be Light. I want to start by focusing on an incredible verse right at the beginning of the Bible, and that's Genesis 1, 2 to 4. And that verse says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and then he separated the light from darkness. Let's think about light for a second. Stuart spoke about angels last week, and he spoke about when the angel appeared to the shepherds. The shepherds were terrified. And there's something about light that we love, isn't it? Now, when light cuts darkness, as Stu also mentioned last week, we've got to think about this formless earth, right? Completely dark and formless. And God says, let there be light. And all of a sudden, there's light. Now, if you know light, it travels at 186,000 miles per second, We think about the Big Bang theory. I reckon if the earth was dark and God said, let there be light and light traveled out of God's mouth at 186,000 miles per second and invaded and cut the darkness, I reckon there was quite a Big Bang, right? So, light travels around the earth seven times in one second. That's how fast the speed of light is. And there's just something about light, isn't there, that we love. We love fireworks. We love going to light shows. We've just been to Boldmere where they switch the lights on, and there's something about lights that just intoxicate people. We have man versus fire every year where just a group of men sit around and we talk and stare at flames, right, because light just intoxicates us. And I want to give you a little example of how light can just intrigue us a little bit, right? So, this is a live show. Hope it works. And for that, I'm going to need my little flame in the background, and I'm going to make my way through the musical equipment. So, beautiful flame up here. And if I reach up high enough, I can probably just grab a bit, right? And the thing with this light is that I can multiply it. Pretty good, right? Tastes good. Really fantastic. Joe, come here for a sec, please. Liverpool now top of the league. Joe, can you face that way, please? We've got indemnity, right? This is what I call making Joe lightheaded. Right? So, thanks, Joe. So, I'll just I'll pop that back over there, right? So, um, very, very good. So, you see, light is something that just gets us, right? It gets us intrigued. It makes us want to look a little bit more at what's going on. And we know that God uses light in the Bible so often, Um, Moses was attracted to a burning bush and the bush was on fire but wasn't burning up and it intrigued Moses and Moses went closer and God spoke to him. Again in Exodus, God passes by Moses and Moses gets to see the back of God which is such a bright light um, that it made his his face shine so brightly that the Israelites couldn't look at him. We also know that the Israelites were guided through the desert by a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. When Jesus appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus, Saul was blinded by the light. You see, when God is present, there's a bright light associated with his presence. We also know that God created the stars the planets, the sun, the moon, and the incredible heavens that we see. Have you ever laid down in a really dark place, away from a city, and you look up into the night sky, and the stars, and the heavens feel like they just come so close to Earth. They're so bright, you can see the little bits of the Milky Way. When I was growing up in South Africa, we used to go to a place called the Haven on the Wild Coast, and. Um, the fishing we used to do there—it was always for fish that would feed at night time. So we used to sleep and relax during the day, and then at about 11 o'clock at night, we would go down to the river, and we would we would start fishing. And it's away from the city; it's completely dark, and um, it's amazing because in those early hours, two, three o'clock in the morning, while you're fishing, you'd look up at the night sky, and it would just seem so, so bright and amazing. And the more you looked at the night sky, the more you would see a satellite moving or a shooting star. And it was just something about the sky that would be amazing. We just booked our family holiday, two weeks' time. Myself, Taz, and the kids, we're going to Iceland for five days, which we're really excited about. And again, when you go to Iceland, most people go, oh, you're going to see the Northern Lights. Because they're just such an amazing spectacle, right? So we, we're really hoping to see the Northern Lights. We're in Iceland in two weeks' time. In Genesis 1, it says God created the stars, the sun and the moon and all the planets. I love the verse Psalm 8, 3-4. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? One of my all-time favorites, Isaiah 40, 25-26. Who will you compare me to, or who is my equal? Asks the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created these? Who brings forth out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. As it wasn't amazing enough that God created light traveling at 186,000 miles per second, God created billions and billions of galaxies and stars. Now, we live on Earth in our solar system, which has the Sun, Jupiter, Mars, Venus, and all our planets and the Moon. And we live in a galaxy called the Milky Way Galaxy. That's a picture of the Milky Way Galaxy. Now, if you want to know how big the Milky Way galaxy is, right, that little arrow is pointing to our sun, which is barely visible in the Milky Way galaxy. That Milky Way galaxy is 100,000 light years across. Right, so to explain that distance, if you traveled 100,000 miles per second for 100,000 years, you would travel from one side to the other of the Milky Way galaxy. And that's only one of billions of galaxies in the universe that we know. Do you know that if you wanted to count the stars in the Milky Way galaxy, one star per second, it would take you two and a half thousand years to count the stars in that galaxy. And again, it's only one of billions of galaxies in our universe. Out of all of that, out of the heavens, the stars, the galaxies, God chose a star to become part of His story, the story that we know around this Christmas time. And that's what I want to do today. I want to speak about the events around Christmas that have made their way into our hearts, and this little star that's made its way into our Christmas cards, our nativity plays, Whenever we do anything or draw anything or create anything around Christmas, there's a star in it, right? That little star at the top of the tree has made its way into our hearts over Christmas time. So I want to look at the Star of Bethlehem today. But first, I'd like to just read the passage. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew 2, verse 2 to 12. It will be up on the screen, so I'll read it to you anyway. And this is about where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them exact time the star had appeared, Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country on another route. So we all know that story really well, don't we? It's in so many Christmas plays, it's in so many children's Bibles, this story of the three wise men coming and visiting Jesus and bringing him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And at this time of the year, most of our kids are in the school plays and um, we wait at home and they come back and some of the kids are Joseph and some others are very excited because they marry. And then you have the shepherds and you have the wise men. Some of the children come home and they are um, sheep and all sorts of Bible characters and it reminds me a of story of um, little Johnny and his two friends who were selected to be wise men in the school nativity play. And the day came along and all the parents and grannies and grandpas filtered into the hall and they were watching the school play and it carried on. And then it came time for the three wise men to enter to take the gifts to Jesus. And the first little wise men came along, walked up to baby Jesus, he said, Here's some gold, and he walked off very proud of himself. Parents, grannies, all very proud. And the second little wise man came, and he went, "He has some myrrh," and he walked off. And then little Johnny came along, and his parents were very proud. And he got to where Jesus was, and that blank look came over his face, and his parents got a bead of sweat. And he started trembling a bit, and the teacher always sits just on the side, right, starting to get a bit worried, and the teacher goes, frankincense. Well, Johnny still looks a little bit troubled, and the teacher goes a bit louder, right? Frankincense. Johnny goes, "Ah, oh, Frank sent this. <laughs> so they might not have been too wise, those little boys, but there were certainly wise men in the story. and. These wise men were called Magi. They were from the east. I want to have a little look at who these wise men could have been. So their name, Magi, really gives us a clue, right? Magi is a Persian term for a priestly caste of wise men who specialized in astrology, medicine, and natural science. You see, if they specialized in astrology, medicine, and natural science, and they came from the east... They would have potentially been looking for something in the heavens that broke the natural order of the universe. When we think back over 2,000 years ago, we didn't have the lights and the bright cities that we have today. So we can imagine that it was dark at nighttime. In the east, maybe a lot of people would sleep on top of their houses, and everyone was very familiar with the night sky. So night after night, they would see the night sky, they would navigate by the stars, And they were very used to what the universe and what their night sky looked like. But all of a sudden, one day, the the order of their night sky, what they were looking at, would have changed. And they would have seen something different that made them want to go and look closer. Now, they wouldn't have certainly followed every falling star or everything in the night sky. There must have been something that they knew that made them put two and two together and say, There could be the birth of the Messiah. We need to go and have a look. And what could that have been? We know that Daniel was taken captive in Babylon. Daniel was a great man of God. And even in captivity, every night he would look out his window towards Jerusalem and he would pray to God. And David was a man of great renown and wisdom in the east. And they might have been aware of the prophecy in Daniel 9 where it establishes the general time period of the Messiah's coming, and it indicates that it would be 483 years after a Persian ruler issued an edict to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, these magi could have basically been counting down the years since the Jewish people went back to rebuild Jerusalem, and they could have had a general idea of when the Messiah was to be born And this star or great light would have somehow coincided with that time. They might have also been familiar with the teachings of Moses and especially Numbers 24 where it says, a star shall come forth from Jacob. So the Magi follow the star, right? They set out to follow it. And the interesting thing is the star doesn't take them to Bethlehem. They end up in Jerusalem. So they end up, first of all, five miles away from Bethlehem. Bethlehem's five miles south of Jerusalem, and they end up in Bethlehem, and that's where they engage with Herod. I had a little bit of a chuckle to myself because I thought, did they get lost? Were they aiming for Bethlehem and they got lost in Jerusalem, or is this part of the story, right? And when I think about us going to Iceland and... uh, And the Northern Lights, it's quite interesting because a number of years ago, and even now, they've got these tour groups, right? So what happens is you sign up for a Northern Lights tour group, you meet in the afternoon, late afternoon when it gets dark because it gets dark at about 3 o'clock, and off you go in search of the Northern Lights. And for the Northern Lights to appear, it has to be a clear night, the solar activity has to be a certain type of way, and it has to create the Northern Lights, So these guys drive around in super jeeps, and they go and look for the Northern Lights. And the tours last from early evening through until midnight. And you drive around Iceland, and you try and find the Northern Lights. But I've got an app, right, that's called Aurora. Now, my Aurora app, it tracks the cloud cover over Iceland, tracks the roads, and it tracks the solar activity. And when the Northern Lights appear, my Aurora app sends me a message and says... The Northern Lights have just appeared at this location, and then off you go, right? So you don't have to go on the tour. We've just hired a car, and we're going to drive around based on my app. And I did have a chuckle because this is 2,000 years later, but can you, can you imagine way back, right? This angel appears to the shepherds, and the shepherds go, and they see baby Jesus. And they sort of, you can imagine them taking a selfie, In there and dropping the location onto Instagram and Facebook, checking in at the stable. And then the wise men, they sort of a couple of hundred miles away, they're on Instagram and they see this message. They look at the location. No need to follow the star because we just dropped the location into Google Maps. We know how far it's gonna take. And straight up, one day later, they're standing outside the house where Jesus is, right? Instead of even having to follow stars. They had this little chuckle about how times have changed, and how uh, apps and social media and everything would have would have made it so different today. But even when we read the story and we look at this whole nativity story, it all seems quite immediate, doesn't it? So we have this picture where the shepherds walk in and they see baby Jesus in the manger, and then they sort of make way, and the wise men walk in and they give him gifts. And everything happens at once. But there are a couple of clues in this passage, and we need to realize that this was a journey of following the star. We need to realize that these magi would have traveled for potentially many months. It says in the passage that Herod asked, when did the star appear? And what we also hear a little bit later in a passage following this is that when Herod got angry that the wise men had gone home a different route, He instructed that all children under the age of two be killed. So Jesus could well have been anywhere up to two years old based on when Herod asked and when the wise men answered. It also doesn't say that the wise men went to see Jesus in a manger or a baby. It says they went to see a child in a house. So we do need to realize that the story could be a little bit more stretched in terms of time. Than we maybe imagine. So, this process of following the star was a journey of the star, sorry. It was a journey of discovery, and we'll touch on this a little bit later. First, I just want to understand some of the theories of what people thought that the star actually was, because it gets quite interesting. So, there's a researcher called Larson who spent a lot of time studying the star, trying to study what was the star, what could it have been. He's got a program called Starry Night, which is an astronomy software that's used by NASA. And essentially what they do, right, is NASA has the software that can predict where the planets are going to be, how their orbits are moving. So when they're launching spaceships, when they're sending up space stations, doing whatever they need to do, they can predict where the planets are going to be at any given time. So there's this amazing order, isn't there, in the night sky where the planets move on an orbit. We know Earth moves on an orbit. So everything's a perfect order. And this, um, this software allows you to predict where the planets are going to be. So he spent a lot of time studying this software. And amazingly, what we found out is that it's possible to backdate the night sky. So what you can do is you can take the starry night software, and based on the orbits of the planets and everything that happens in the heavenlies, you can take that software back to the time of Jesus' birth, and you can look at what the sky looked like on that night or over that period. So they did that, and first of all, they went, was the star a meteor? They said, well, a star can't be a meteor because meteors don't rise in the east and they don't last very long. They then thought, could it be a comet? And again, in those days, a comet was more a sign of doom than a sign of positivity, so it couldn't have been a comet. They thought, could it be a nova or a supernova, which is a large, burning, exploding star? But again, those don't last too long. So what they did is they wanted to investigate this theory called the conjunction of planets. And to do this, they took the software, they um, went on the assumption that the wise men were from the east, so they aimed the software from the east and they aimed it towards Jerusalem and backdated the night nice sky, essentially rolled it all back to that time period when um, Jesus was meant to be born. And this is what's been discovered, right? First of all, Jupiter, we all know Jupiter. Now, Jupiter is known as the king planet. And over that period, Jupiter from the east was visible in the night sky above Jerusalem. The second thing they noticed, there's a star which is called Regulus. Now, Regulus is commonly referred to as a regal star. And Regulus was also in the night sky above Jerusalem over that period. We know that Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. In Genesis 49, it tells us that. And what these guys then did is they took the constellations and they essentially brought the constellations into the picture behind all the planets to see what constellations were in the night sky. Over that time. Very interesting. Part of the backdrop of Jupiter and Regulus was the constellation Leo. Over that period. Now in Revelation 12, it speaks of a woman who gives birth and a dragon is waiting to devour her child. I'll read it to you. Revelation 12, verses 1 to 5. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman, clothed with the sun... "'with the moon under her feet "'and a crown of twelve stars on her head. "'She was pregnant and cried out in pain "'as she was about to give birth. "'Then another sign appeared in heaven, "'an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns "'and seven crowns on its heads. "'Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky "'and flung them to the earth. "'The dragon stood in front of the woman,' who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Part of the backdrop of Jupiter, Regulus, and Leo was the constellation Virgo. At the same time as that, the moon was at the foot of Virgo in the night sky. The dragon in the story often referred to as Herod, who was waiting for the birth of Jesus to kill him. So all very, very interesting. What it made me think about, right, when I was reading all that, is that if the night sky is so ordered and the planets all move on orbits that take sometimes hundreds and hundreds of years, How awesome that back in Genesis, when God created the heavens, called forth the starry hosts one by one, by name, and put them in their place, that he would have ordered everything to align in a certain time in the future, which pointed Magi in the east to the birth of a Messiah in Bethlehem. So that's just one of the theories that they... Have, um, have they've worked on. The other thing, right, is Stu mentioned that the angel came down to the shepherds. There was a bright light. Could the star have been an angel? So I looked, and in Revelation one twenty, the verse says, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angel's of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So again, the star could have been an angel. Now right about this point, my spirit got arrested. I'd been looking at the star, reading loads of stuff, putting all these notes together, and I just felt myself check. and I felt my spirit get arrested. And I heard these words that I say so many times around Christmas and they're this. Don't get caught up in the wrapping and miss the present. Say it again. Don't get caught up in the wrapping and miss the present. You see, I was looking and people are looking at more about what is the star? What could it have been Instead of looking at, what is the star pointing to? What is the star trying to show us? You see, if Moses kept staring at the burning bush, he would never have gone to Egypt and freed the Israelites. If the Israelites were going through the Red Sea that Moses had parted, and they were so amazed at these walls of water on either side of them, and they just stayed there, they either would have been captured Or they would have drowned. So it's important to realize that whatever the star was, it was a sign from God. It's important to realize that God can do anything He wants to do. If God wants to take a star, pluck it out of the sky, move it around, wave it in front of the Magi, move it across... Hide it from Herod which he did, make it stop over a house in Bethlehem, then that's what God will do. But it's all too often we get fixated on what the star could be instead of what the star is pointing to. So I guess to look at the passage then in a slightly different way, what is it that I feel we need to take out of the passage? And first of all, we are stars. That carry the light and point people to Jesus. John 8 12 says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness, because you will have the light that leads to life. You see, God uses you and me, He uses Christians to point to Jesus. You fulfill the same role as a star, you fulfill the same role as Scripture. You fulfill the same role as John the Baptist did all those years ago where he pointed to Jesus Christ. The interesting thing as well in the story is once the star had pointed to Jesus and the Magi walked into that house and they fell at the feet of Jesus and worshipped him, you do realize we don't hear about that star ever again. The star disappears from Scripture and it disappears from our story the moment the wise men find Jesus, the star's job was done. Same as um, this amazing verse, Matthew 5:14, it says, "You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine." Before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, in the same way the star disappeared when it had done its job, we also get involved in people's lives. We can point them to Jesus, and then we can take a back seat once they've met the King of Kings and the Savior of the world. That takes me on to point two. You can only lead people into the general presence of Jesus. You see, what the star did originally in the night sky, it caught the Magi's attention. They followed the star, and they ended up in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, they spoke about the star, and they asked what the prophecy was. Where was Jesus to be born? And the people in Jerusalem went to Scripture And once the um, Magi had heard what was in the scripture about where Jesus was meant to be born, and Herod said to them, go to Bethlehem to look for them. They then had the choice, right? They had not experienced scripture. They knew the truth that he was meant to be born in Bethlehem. So their choice was to walk the additional five miles south of Jerusalem and walk into a house And fall down at the feet of Jesus and worship and give Him gifts. So in the same way, we interact with people all the time. We can speak to people about Jesus. We can bring people into the presence of Jesus. We can bring people into church. But we can't make people open the door and walk into the very presence, the very personal presence of Jesus and bow down and worship Him and see Him for the Savior that He is. So for us, we need to continue to pray. We need to continue to minister to people. We need to continue to speak to people about Jesus. But ultimately, it's a personal choice to walk through that door and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Point three, there will be opposition in our walk and there will be opposition in people's walk with Jesus or finding Jesus in the same way As Herod opposed it and Herod issued that decree to have all children under the age of two, all boys under the age of two killed, there will be opposition as we seek to know Jesus, to become closer to Jesus. And as we lead people to Jesus, there will be opposition. Point four, when we find Jesus, all else pales into insignificance. When they walked into that house, and they saw Jesus, the star disappeared. That bright star that had led them for potentially months, that had lit up the night sky, faded away into insignificance when they saw the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ in the flesh. The last one, five. The road you are on is not the same road you will follow after meeting Jesus. Many of us have testimonies about the road we were on, the life we were living, the journey we took, and radical transformations when we came into the presence of meeting Jesus Christ and how that road changed. And in the same way as the Magi had a dream and they said, the dream said, do not return on the same road as you came. It just speaks to me and says, when you meet Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit that comes into our lives and says, that road that you came on and that you walked on, that's not the road for you. I have a new purpose and a plan for your life. I have a new road that you need to take. Not a road that leads to danger and death, but a road that leads to life and a road that leads to eternity. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. And that hope is a new road, a new destiny that the Holy Spirit guides us and leads us on once we meet and experience Jesus Christ in the flesh. So um, I'm going to start wrapping this up now. Um, would the worship team like to come up? Is that all right? Thanks, guys. Don't we have an amazing worship team? Absolutely incredible. Give them hand. So just in conclusion, and as the worship team come up, God's purpose for the star today is exactly the same as it was on that starry night so long ago. God doesn't want it to get hung up on various attempts at explaining the star or trying to figure it all out. So just as the purpose of a reading lamp is to shed light on a book, And the purpose of a spotlight is to shed light on the stage, on a performer. The purpose of the star is to point us to Jesus Christ. And we should let the star do exactly that. You see, the aim here is to find Jesus and enter his presence. All too often, as Christians, we seek mountaintop experiences. We are praying for healings and miracles And we are researching and reading tons of books to find out what the star could have been. Was the Red Sea actually parted? And don't get me wrong, none of those things are bad. All of those things, praying for miracles, signs, wonders, healings, all of those things are good. But if they're wrapping or a star that keep us from exploring and finding the presence of Jesus Christ, then I would question what they for. You see, when the disciples met Jesus, they wanted to stay in His presence, right? And in His presence were the miracles, Lazarus come forth, Jesus walking on water, feeding the 5,000. So in Jesus' presence, there were miracles, there were signs, there were wonders. So the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and all things will be given to you. And the real sense here, right, is if we're a people that press into the very presence of Jesus, if we press in and say, Lord, I'm going to seek you first, then all those things we pray for, the signs, the wonders, the miracles, the healings, they all there in the presence of Jesus Christ, where we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and we walk hand in hand with Him. You see, back then, the star pointed Jesus in one location, in a house in Bethlehem. After Jesus' death, and when we received the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus immediately came present in the heart of Christians across the world in every location. We don't need to point to a house in Bethlehem and to a child in the house in Bethlehem. We get to point people to Jesus who grew up, fulfilled every prophecy, and reconciled every person who believes in him to God and eternal life. One star pointed to Jesus in one location. We as an entire church worldwide can point millions of people to Jesus in millions of locations all at the same time see angels pointed to a baby the magi and the star pointed to a young child and we get to point to the savior of the world who went to the cross conquered the grave and sits at the right hand of the father in heaven Just like God planned and made the stars with a purpose, he made you and me with a purpose. He said, go and make disciples. All the plans for your life were in place. And we are called to be a people that shine our light before men. I love this saying. People want to see a sermon before they listen to one. I'll say that again. People want to see a sermon before they listen to one. So I'm going to close on this verse, right? Isaiah 60, to three. Arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the people. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. So if I take that and I see me as a little star this morning trying to point to Jesus, won't we now just stand and you make that decision? Because I can only point you so far, right? But you have to make the decision to complete the rest of the journey. You open the door, you walk into the house, and you walk into the presence of Jesus Christ. And it can change your journey in an instant. Thank you so much.